Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We, we live in a society where we have so much information, but it's hard to figure out what is authoritative and what is true. And in fact, there's been an increasing difficulty because the more information we have, the more it gets broken down. In fact, the internet has increased that tremendously. If you are to do a search on the internet, you come up with maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of entries. And there are those who are seeking for truth, but they can't seem to be able to find it. And there was a group of people who decided that they would look on the internet because their new iPhone didn't have a plug-in for their ear, earplugs. So they went to the internet to find the solution. How could they plug their old earplugs into the phone? And they found a video and they found actually how you do it. You take your new iPhone, you take a drill, and you just put a hole right in the top, and you can plug your earplugs in there, your headphones in. Well, unfortunately, the comments were filled underneath that video of people who actually tried that and wrecked their phones. And the problem with not having an authority and not getting truth is you can get led astray. Things can be difficult. And in fact, it can be catastrophic if you get the wrong information. And if that's the case in the physical world, how much more in the spiritual world do we need to know where the authority is and where, where do we get the truth? How do we know for sure? Well, Paul is writing in a time, even at his time, where there are many voices, many false teachers, many people who are, who are speaking, and some of them are speaking for God, and they are, they are coming in the name of God. And so how are the people who are listening supposed to be able to know what is true and what is right? How can they discern between all of these voices to know who to listen to? Well, Paul continually in his letters starts by citing the source of his authority. In other words, he has authentic credentials that make him someone to listen to. Unlike many on the internet who just put out an opinion and they often dismiss the experts. Here Paul says, here are my credentials. Here's, here's what you need to know about me. This is how you know that you can trust what I'm writing. My credentials are come from God and that authority comes from him. And this separates me from everyone else. This is how you know you can listen to me. And this is how you know that as you listen and, and as you read the book of Romans, you know that this is a book that should be listened to. This is an authority that should come over top of your life. And so he begins this book of Romans really giving his credentials. Now let me remind you of the flow of the first section of Romans because I want us to have this in our mind. The first section really is the first 17 verses of the book of Romans. That is the introduction to the book and it consists of three simple paragraphs and again it follows that nice little AAA beginning of the letters, right? He starts with the author, and then he addresses them, 
and is, gives the audience. And so for verses 1 to 7, he gives the basic greeting. And verses 8 to 15, he gives thanksgiving and prayer. And then we could say in the third one, as he addresses, he gives the formal statement of the theme of the letter. And it's about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so he will impact that theme in this letter. Now, as we start, I want to remind you that verses 1 to 7 is actually one long sentence. Paul would have got docked in English class because he had run-on sentences. And yet it is one sentence. And so why don't we read verses 1 to 7 before we go into the Word of God this morning? Paul writes as he is superintended by the Holy Spirit, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, Jesus, an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we walk our way through the word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, again, I pray that you would use your word to work in our hearts as you see fit. And I pray that you will use this word of God to transform us and that we would again be convinced of the authority of your word and that we would be excited about studying the book of Romans because we know that it is a book that comes not just from Paul, but ultimately is sourced in you. And therefore, these are the very words of God. And so I pray that we would take heed and we would listen. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Now again, in this first section, Paul is giving us reasons why we should study the book of Romans. In other words, he wants to lay out why we need to read this book. Why should we keep going? And he really gives, we we were examining really that first reason and he simply says because Paul wrote it Paul wrote the book that's why it matters and so we started last week and we saw Paul's identity and we looked at who the apostle Paul was and so you can imagine as as Phoebe delivered that letter you can see them opening the scroll and reading Paul and right away they know who he was and all of his background and there would be a little bit of excitement here because this is the man who once persecuted the church and now follows the Lord Jesus Christ and so there as he begins to as they roll down a little bit farther Paul will now lay out not just his identity but he will lay out his credentials in other words Paul wrote this, why should we listen to it? Not just because of his identity, but because of the credentials that he lays down. And you'll notice in verse 1, he lays out three credentials, three statements that explain who he is. He says he's called as an apostle, 
He is, sorry, uh, he's a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, and set out for the gospel of God. Those are his credentials. This is why we should listen to the, the book of Romans, because Paul, as he writes this, is credentialed, and therefore he has the authority to bring the word to us. Now let's look at these credentials. First he says, you ought to read this letter, and it ought to be uh, important to you, because he says, I am a bondservant of Christ. I am a bondservant of Christ. Well, right away, we're going to take exception to that because I think this is a poor translation. And, and it's continually been mistranslated this way in our English translations, mostly because of the bad connotations that have come with the word slave. And so people have been afraid to, to use this term, and yet it is clearly the word doulos. Bondservants lacks force. In other words, a bondservant was someone who either could choose to stay with their master or at times it was a hired servant. It was someone who, uh, who could walk away from their job. There was a difference between servants and slaves. Servants were, had, sometimes had their own houses. They sometimes were day laborers. They had their own life. But a doulos is defined as being under someone's total control, a slave. In fact, the, the, the lexicon says the word servant is substituted for slave. And excuse me, the word slave, I mean, is, is substituted for slave, is largely confined to biblical translations and early American times. In other words, this was never translated this. If you were a Roman citizen, if you were a first century believer and you heard this, it only meant one thing. You were a slave. There was probably 30% 30, uh, 30 of the population at that time would have been slaves within the, the city of Rome. And so the only thing that came to your mind, you didn't think you were a slave, you, I mean a servant, you thought you were a slave. You thought you had you were owned. And so Paul begins and says, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. They knew what it meant. They didn't have to go look it up in a lexicon like we do. Paul says, I'm nothing what but a slave of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting because Paul begins this book and he identifies himself and, and he thinks of himself in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that he thinks about. I am in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. His whole life revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he mentions Jesus five times just in this introduction. This is his life. And we could really just say, when we think about our lives, how do we define it? Is the first thing that comes to mind, my life is Christ. Is that who I am? Well, Paul, one of the primary ways he defined himself 
was in relationship to Christ. And he says, I'm a slave. Now, not only does he claim to be a slave, but he also, if he's a slave, he has a master and he identifies that master as Kurios, Christ Jesus. Christ is not a, a name, it's a, Christ is a title. It comes from the Greek word Christos, and the Greek word Christos is a translation of the Hebrew word Ha-Messiah, ha, 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 the Messiah, the Messiah. And the Messiah means the anointed one. He's simply referring to Christ here, and he's referring to Christ as the, as the Messiah that the Old Testament promise would come. Jesus is his human name, which of course often means Yahweh saves. It means God saves. And Paul was a slave of what? Of Israel's Messiah. He recognized where he was coming from. Paul often said this. In Philippians 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, a slave of Christ Jesus. Literally plural, the slaves of Christ Jesus. Paul, Titus 1, Paul, what? A slave of God. And so Paul was informed by his Greek background, but he was also informed by his Jewish background. Studying the Old Testament scripture, he also had an understanding of what it was to be a slave. The Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, used the word doulos many times to translate the Hebrew word alat. And so Paul would have understood from the Old Testament that there was also the idea of a slave. There were slaves who were just plain, had no rights and were given owned by their masters, there were slaves that were also cho- chose to be with their masters. But often in the Old Testament, the word slave was used for those who were believers, genuine believers. In fact, Deuteronomy 32.26 says they were losses of Yahweh. Throughout the Old Testament, when individuals came to genuine faith in God, they were referred to as what? Slaves of God. Psalm 34, 22 says, Yahweh redeems the souls of many of his what? Slaves. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so there's a sense that slave is used in the Old Testament as as referring to those who are saved, those who are genuine believers, those have, who have been rescued by God. And so if you're a Christian here today, like Paul, you are what? A slave of Christ. It describes the believers and those whose lives are wholly devoted to the service of what? Their master. It describes complete submission, exclusive ownership, and total dependence. Now that's not what society tells us, right? We're independent, we have our rights. We can do whatever we want, we have freedom. 
If you're a Christian, I want you to listen to this. You're not free. If you're a Christian, you're not free. You belong to Jesus Christ. He is your master and Lord. Galatians 5.24 calls Christians those who what? Belong to Jesus Christ. Now, there's certainly freedom in Christ. We know that. But you're not free. In Ephesians 6.6, Paul's dealing with actual slaves who are in the church in Ephesus. And in 6.5, he says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, and then he says in verse 6, Not by the way of eye service as man-pleasers, but as what? Doulosses, doulai. Slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from what? The heart. Every one of us is there. That's the description of the believer. If you're in Christ, you are a slave of Jesus Christ, doing his will, what? From the heart. Maybe you don't like that idea, but I hate to break it to you. Everyone in this room is a slave. Everyone in this room is a slave. Romans 6, 16. Do you not know when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of one whom you obey? Either you are a slave of sin resulting in death, or you're a slave of God and you obey him resulting in what? Righteousness. Righteousness. But thanks be to God through, though you were slaves to sin before Christ, that's everybody, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and have been freed from sin, you became slaves of what? Righteousness. So the bottom line is, we're all slaves. It's just a matter of who is your master. There's only two options, right? There's only two masters. There's sin the master under which everyone is born. Everyone is born a slave to sin. And there are undoubtedly people in sitting in churches who are exactly there. There could be those here today who are still what? Slaves of sin. And sin is a cruel master. It is an abusive master. It promises you that it will do things for you, it is de- but it is deceptive. It promises you joy and happiness and satisfaction. And often it starts that way, doesn't it? It's pleasurable for the moment. But sin never stops there because sin ultimately becomes a trap. And the, the, the consequences are greater. The satisfaction is less. And soon, rather than you choosing to sin, it becomes your master so strongly that you can't stop. And it leads to self-destruction. How often do you see an alcoholic cry as they reach for another drink? destroying everything in their lives. And what started out as fun, as something that would help them have a bit of fun, now becomes the very thing that destroys him. And that is exactly what sin does in our life. It destroys us. Verse 
But there's another master, our Lord Jesus Christ, and he describes himself this way. Listen to this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and what? My burden is light, right? Jesus says, guess what? I'm going to call you to be a slave of mine, but ultimately what? I'm going to empower you to be able to serve you, to serve me and obey me, and my burden is light. And yet we are still to obey our new master. And so we must understand, Paul says, I am a what? Slave of Jesus Christ. In other words, yes, there is dignity in representing my master. There's dignity in being a servant and, or a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly there is a high position because we end up what, being not just slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us friends and he puts us in his family. There's dignity and yet Paul says, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when, as I come to write this book, I am writing as one who is fully submitted to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have my own agenda. These aren't my ideas. I didn't make this up. This comes from God because I am not one who is allowed to speak my own thoughts and my own ways. I'm a representative of God. And so as we come to Romans, we must recognize one of the reasons that we need to read Romans and we need to take Romans into our hearts and to study it and to believe it is because it is given to us by a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ with only one agenda, to give us God's word and God's truth. We can trust Romans. Well, second, the second credential that he gives to us, really, after, after giving us his position, we could say, is his authority. His authority. He says, called as an apostle. Now, notice he says in verse 2, he says, called as apostle. Literally, it says in the Greek text, a called apostle. A called apostle. Points to the fact that his position isn't something that he chose or something that was given to him or he was voted to, but rather it was by the election of God. And this was Paul's primary ministry credential. He begins nine of his 13 letters with exactly this, uh, this idea. I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's obviously an important concept to Paul because he keeps on setting it out in front, setting it out in front. And if Paul emphasizes it, remember, under the Holy Spirit, then we need to pay attention to it. So we have to ask the critical question, what is an apostle? It's one thing for for us to, to know that he's an apostle, but what is an apostle? Well, oftentimes, 
The term appears about 79 times in the New Testament. And we need to understand that the English word apostle is, is a transliteration. In other words, other translators simply substituted in English letters for the Greek letters. The Greek word is apostolos. In English, that becomes apostle, so it's, it's, uh, they simply brought it from the Greek into the English as close as they can. So the question is, what does it mean? Well, the, the word apostle can be used in a verb form, apostel, apostello, meaning to send someone out, to send someone out. And in the noun form, it means the one who is sent out, the one who is sent out. The word was originally used in classical Greek uh, for ships that were sent out on a specific mission. So as it was used, they were sent out, these ships were sent out on a, on a mission. Eventually the word became not to be used of ships, but of individuals, uh, of envoys, ambassadors, and messengers who were sent. In this widest sense of the word, that the apostle is sometimes used, and it is in this widest sense that the word apostle is sometimes used in the New Testament. It is used of anyone who is sent by someone else for a specific spiritual mission. So it, it can be used in scripture to refer to anyone who is sent out. And so this is often used of men like Barnabas, Titus, Epaphroditus, Apollos, Silvanus, Timothy. They're all referred into the New, in the New Testament as apostles in this widest sense. And so they weren't, they, they are, there's a sense that they were sent out, they were sent on a particular miss, mission by someone and either by the churches or by, by the apostles to do something particular in the churches. But most of the time, the word apostle occurs in, occurs in the New Testament is not used in this gen, as a general messenger. Instead, it is used primarily of a unique group of men handpicked by Christ and placed in a specific office. So it refers particularly to a particular office. In fact, if you look, it, it, almost all the time this word occurs, you will find it in, almost entirely refers to the 12, to Paul, the 12 apostles, and the official, the official representatives of Christ. So we understand this, that the apostles was an office that was given to the early church. They were commissioned by Christ as his direct representatives. And so they had the power to act on his behalf. John 15, 27, you will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. They were his, Christ's witnesses. So this was an office that was given to the church, the early church, and existed only in those 12 apostles. Now, they were, in fact, able to speak for God, and they were given unique qualifications in order to be an apostle. In other words, no, there was unique qualifications that were necessary to be an apostle, and Paul had to meet these in order to claim that. 
In other words, not everybody could be apostle. It wasn't something that you could ultimately sign up for. But there were some qualifications that need to be take place. Number one, you had to be personally chosen by Jesus Christ. If you wanted to be apostle, you had to be chosen by Jesus Christ. In Luke 6.12, it says, It was at that time that Jesus went off to the mountain by the city of Capernaum, his hometown and ministry quarters, to pray, and he set, spent the whole night in prayer with God. What was he praying about? When the day came, he called his disciples to him, and then it says he chose 12 of them whom he named as what? Apostles. Jesus selected. He chose the 12 men to be his official representatives. They would now be those who would learn and follow him. And he gave them the title, what? Apostle. And Paul says in Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, what? From the dead. So Paul makes this amazing claim. He says, listen, I was not self-appointed. I was not appointed by other apostles. I am not appointed by any group of men whatsoever. I am an apostle because what? But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I was chosen by God. I was chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't sign up for this. This was what God did. So then Paul was an apostle, and therefore Paul meets very clearly this first qualification to be an apostle. He was chosen by Christ for that position. Number two, to be an apostle, you had to be taught directly by Christ. You had to be taught directly by Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, as they were contemplating replacing Judas, they said that it was... that it was necessary that the men who had accompanied us all the time, that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In other words, this man had to be taught. He had to be instructed by Christ to, be, to have been discipled by Christ himself. You say, well, how does Paul meet that qualification? Paul wasn't with Christ on the earth. He didn't walk around with Christ on the earth. Well, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not, what? According to man. For I neither received it for man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through, what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I received direct teaching from the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. The message that I preached didn't originate with me. It didn't originate with the other apostles. In fact, I I went and I taught before I even met them. And 
And we see this a number of times. He certainly says at the Lord's Supper, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Paul is claiming, guess what? I received direct teaching from the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the other apostles weighed in and said, yes, it's true. Paul met the qualification for an apostle by his own testimony. Number three, the third qualification to be an apostle is you had to have seen the resurrected Christ. And again, in Acts one twenty-two, one of them must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In other words, that person had to have seen the resurrected Christ. Well, Paul saw the resurrected Christ. We saw that on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, right? Where Paul, where Christ appears to Paul on the road. But Paul gives a testimony to that in Acts chapter 26. He's before Agrippa, and this is his testimony. And I said, they're on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus Christ, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have what? Appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but the things which I will appear to you in the future. In other words, Paul says, I saw the risen Christ. He appeared to me and I saw him. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.1, Am I not apostle? Not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? He says, I've seen him. I have seen the resurrected Lord. He says in 1 Corinthians 15.8, Last of all, as to one untimely born, Christ appeared to me also. So Paul meets that qualification. There's a fourth qualification. You had to confirm your calling through the miraculous gifts of an apostle. Jesus gave miraculous power and authority to the 12. In Matthew 10, 1 and 2, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every sickness. Now, these are the 12 apostles, and Paul was enabled to confirm that he was called as an apostle by miraculous gifts. He speaks in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle, listen, I performed among you with all perseverance by signs, wonders, and miracles. So Paul says to the Corinthians, listen, you have no reason to doubt that I'm an apostle. God has given me these powers. He has given me the miraculous signs. I have done the works and the signs of a what? Of an apostle. I meet that qualification. And so Paul says, I am an apostle. I've been personally chosen by Christ. I was taught directly with him. I saw him. I was confirmed in my work of miracles. And so he says, this is who I am. And now you can kind of see why does he start calling himself an apostle? Because he wants you to recognize who he is. He's not just another voice among many. He's a special 
apostle chosen by Christ to be his representative. And so Paul will now write letters to the churches that are the word of God. And he's speaking for Christ because he's God's messenger. He's the one who's been sent. And guess what? Whatever an apostle writes, as he writes the word of God, you are what? Bound to obey. You're bound to obey. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, Paul says, If anyone thinks he is spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are what? The Lord's commands. Paul says, I'm not writing my own ideas. I'm writing God's commands to you that you must obey. This is not a voluntary thing if you're a believer. I'm writing these things in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not tearing down. 2 Corinthians 13.10. You get the idea? And Paul says, listen, I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and what I write is important because they are the words of God. They have the authority of God and you need to listen. And so as we, as we start the study of Romans and as we spend the next four or five years in this book, we need to be convinced that what we're reading is given to us is the word of God. It comes with the authority of God. It is God breathed it is as if God spoke it. And therefore we must listen. We must listen to the voice of the shepherd. We must obey. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's called as an apostle. Well, thirdly, we see his third credential here. And he says, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. The word set apart means to... to to mark off the boundaries to a point, to set one apart for some purpose. And Paul says, I have been separated, I have been set apart by God for the gospel of God. In other words, I have been, I have been marked apart. In other words, I have been so set apart that there's nothing else that I'm to be doing. This is where I, nothing else is to distract me. I am, I, am, I am no longer part of this. In fact, this word is used often in Scripture, in the Old Testament, for people being set apart for God. In Exodus, you'll see that God wanted to set apart unto him the firstborn of man, the firstborn of beast. You can go to Numbers 15, you see that God wanted the first fruits of the crop. Numbers 8, you see God set apart the best of men consecrated the Levites to his service. He separated Israel in, in Leviticus 20 verse 6 from the other nation. This people is to be holy unto the Lord. And Paul says, I am wholly set apart for this purpose. This is, this is, we could almost say this is because he's called as an apostle and his messenger, he is now what? Set apart for the gospel. This is what the apostle is to announce. This is what he's supposed to give the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul says, I, I've been set apart. I've been put in a place. And it's interesting because this, this word here for set apart is a little bit like the word Pharisee. It comes from the same root of the word Pharisee. It means, to, and Pharisee meant a separate one. All his life to this point as, as an adult, Paul had been what? A Pharisee, separated unto the traditions of the Jews. Now he says, if you will, I am a Pharisee separated unto the gospel of God. Good news, no more of man's bad news. So Paul says, I, I'm set apart. I'm set apart to the gospel. In Galatians 1.15, he said, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, Paul was separated from his mother's womb. Onto the road to Damascus, he was separated unto the gospel of God. And then he became a pastor at the church of Antioch. And so Paul says, I've been set apart for a ministry. I've been set apart for a particular thing. I've been set apart for what? The gospel of God. So what does he mean by the gospel? Well, the word English gospel comes from the Anglo-Saxon word Godspell, which simply means a good story. And that's the idea of the original Greek word. The English word gospel really translates the word, uh, Greek word euangelion, from which we get the English word evangel or evangelistic. And so the word here is literally a good message or good news. It's interesting to see how this term is used outside of Scripture. Among the Greeks, for example, this word was used to report about a specifically important news, about specially important news. For example, one of the most frequent early uses of this word among the Greeks was when a messenger would come from the scene of a battle and report, and if the army had won, if they had gained a victory in the battle, they came with a good report, with good news. We have won. The victory is ours. The Romans used this word in emperor cult worship. They used to describe the announcement of important events in the life of the emperor. So when the heir of the throne was born, there was sent out an announcement of good news. When the emperor came of age, when the emperor ascended to the throne, in all of these major events of his life, of the emperor, there was an announcement. There was a euangelion, good news. When scripture uses the word translated gospel in our text, it's referring to the best news that has come to fallen man. It's the best news that they have ever received. It's the greatest announcement ever made. It's the announcement of the birth and history of the greatest king, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's announcements of the events surrounding the king, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his expansion of the kingdom, his announcement of the greatest victory ever accomplished on the planet. The the empty tomb, the gospel is good news. It is good news. And so he says, here's the, Paul says, I have been made and set apart for the gospel of God. In other words, I have been set apart from a gospel that comes what? From God. 
In other words, the idea here is that God is the one announcing. He's the one who is bringing forth the gospel. And so it is the gospel that is what? Sourced in God. In other words, this gospel comes from God. This doesn't, it comes directly from him. It's not from Paul himself, but it is from God himself. And Paul says, I have been set apart for this ministry. I will now proclaim to the world the gospel of God. And Paul says, you need to listen to the book of Romans because the book of Romans is about what? The gospel. And he says, I'm giving you the gospel. I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am his official representative. I come with the authority granted to me by the office of apostle. And God, in making me apostle, gave me this message. This is the true gospel, and you need to listen. And so Paul says, this is why you need to to listen to the book of Romans. I wrote this book, and this is who I am. I am the slave of Jesus Christ, appointed as his apostle, set apart for the gospel. This is my job. I may actually listen, Romans, and most of the Roman church is Gentile. I am the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so if you want to know what the gospel is, you want to know what God demands from you, if you want to know how to get saved and you want to know how to live for God's glory and you want to deal with some hard issues and he's going to deal with hard issues, he's going to deal with God's sovereignty and salvation and he's going to deal with with days and holidays and, and all kinds of issues that could cause trouble. He says, you need to recognize that what you're hearing is the gospel and which affects every area of our lives. And he says, this is sourced in God himself. And therefore, you can trust the book of Romans. You can understand that you can read this book and you can take it at face value because these are the very words of God given to us for life and godliness and for our right relationship with God. And so I trust as we, start, as we continue through this book of Romans that you will recognize why should we read the book of Romans? Because Paul wrote it. And not because Paul was some great man, but because he was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, saved, struck down on the road to Damascus, called and set to an office. Not He didn't choose it, and he was set apart for the gospel of God. And therefore... We can understand it, we can know it to be true, and therefore we should be excited to read it. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Romans, and we thank you that Paul wrote this book, not because he was a great man, but because he was set apart by you. You saved him, you appointed him, And you gave him a mission. And so I pray that we would pay attention to your word. That we would follow it like the sun. And so I pray that you will again help us to be convinced of the truth of your word. And the power that it comes through it in your name. Amen.